Hi everyone, welcome to week 11 of Gangrene and Goudreau right here on percolatedmedia.net. This is Goudreau here. Thank you all very much for listening to what I'm sure a lot of you have been anticipating me discussing. I am recording this on Tuesday the 22nd, a few days removed from the Jets game in Foxborough. And if you've been listening to this show and you know my geographic location, you know my upbringing, you know my my fandom, and you know how it has transpired, especially with what happened on Sunday, I'm sure you're eagerly anticipating my thoughts. And I will say this, I hope I don't disappoint. But before I get into both the game and the fallout, because there is plenty to discuss on both sides... I do need to say this, put a little bit of a disclaimer out. I know the people I talk to that listen to the show, most of you are not Jet fans, and I appreciate that you take the time to listen to this show that is formatted around a team that you don't like, don't root for, and in some cases actively despise. So I appreciate you giving me the time of day. It does mean a lot. But to those of you that are Jet fans that listen, and I know there are a few in my inner circle that are not my immediate family, which are few and far between, to be perfectly honest, as far as how many are Jet fans, I don't think my comments and the bulk of this show are going to dictate the general consensus that is around what has happened in the last few days. You could even say I'm pulling a Garrett and giving the dissenting opinion, maybe the one that a lot of people don't necessarily want to hear. But I feel like I have to call it like I see it. I have my own opinions. I have my own perspective. And I think there's a lot to unwrap here. But not to delay too much longer, I do have to plug what's happening here on the site. We are in the midst of our DiCaprio and Scorsese retrospective with Mike Ganeri joining Garrett and myself. This week we are reviewing Shutter Island. That show will be dropping Friday culminating in the Wolf of Wall Street review, because nothing says Black Friday more than a movie that starts with the main character experiencing what they call Black Monday. So that'll be coming out the week after Thanksgiving. And speaking of that holiday, I hope all of you have a very pleasant holiday weekend, spending the time with your family. I know I'm I'm very much looking forward to taking some time off, spending some much-needed time with my family away from my usual work environment and my surroundings. I will be doing some traveling and I couldn't be more excited that I'm detaching. So that's the preamble. That's the happenings here on the site. I'm not going to talk about what we're doing to close out the year, but there are going to be some very exciting topics of conversation here on the site. That brings me to what's happened. Jets are coming off a of bye week. So last week, Garrett and I did a midseason review. We talked about him being a Giants fan. We talked about our overall thoughts on the landscape of the NFL. And I thought it was a great show. I love talking to Garrett about stuff that's not movies. You know, it, it's. I'm very fortunate that I have gotten to know someone that is considerably older than me. And I don't say that in a joking manner. It's just the the fact of of life that I still have found a connection with someone that I consider a close friend. He knows my family. 
I know his. We talked about a lot of stuff that is not just entertainment. Life advice. We both had our own struggles and demons throughout our lives. We've had some, you know, health issues. So I consider Garrett one of my best friends. And I am very much looking forward to having the opportunity to see him and his girlfriend next year. Will that be at Lollapalooza for Binge Media? Who knows? I personally have not made the decision whether or not I'm going to go. And it's not due to sour grapes or a feeling of distaste. It's just that with my current situation. And I don't say that in a negative light at all. I'm more than blessed with where I'm at and what's making my life so great right now. But spending a weekend away for fun and shenanigans, as much as I'd love to do it, I just got to see if it's in the cards. I will, If I have the capacity to go, Christian and I will definitely go. You all can meet him, get to see me again for the first time since COVID. So if you're listening and from the binge circle, I will do everything in my power to see if I can get to Lollapalooza because I, I miss seeing all of you. And those were some of my uh, most fun weekends that I've had just celebrating with friends and people that I've never met. And I have met Garrett in person. We've I we've had more drinks between the two of us, mostly dominated by him because he's a he's a big man and it is a it's a fun time. So whether it's that, whether I fly out to the Vegas area to go see my friends, it, it'll definitely happen. Maybe we'll go to a Raider game if that stadium hasn't been burned to cinder because people are screaming for Josh McDaniels to be fired. But that was a topic of conversation we had before. So let's let's get into the why you're listening. I'm not going to be someone that does a Joe Beningo style of rant, just being overly negative, calling for heads, calling for bodies, calling for people's jobs. Because I don't think I have the same expectations that a lot of other people did before this season began. And I do need to reemphasize, if you're a first-time listener, when I did my week one show, I said that I expected the Jets to be certainly improved over last year and the year before that, for that matter. But I did not think this was a team that was capable of making a playoff run of any sort. I said eight wins would be an acceptable benchmark for me. Part of that is predicated upon the fact that this team has won six games combined in 2020 and 2021. They were 2-14 and 14 and then a 4-13 and 13 season last year. I was not expecting a snap-on-my-fingers turnaround with year two where the team goes from basement dwellers to hoisting a Lombardi trophy. I think that's unrealistic. And while in a perfect dream-esque type of environment that you craft in your head, that's what you want. But I think I have a certain bit of level-headedness about where the Jets are. And the fact of the matter is, looking at the first half of the season, and I think I even mentioned this in my show with Garrett, they are, much like the Giants, overachieving. And I don't say that to be critical. That's not a knock on what they've accomplished. But 
the fact that Vegas had this team projected at an over-under win total of five and a half shows that the Jets still don't have that respect to be taken as a credible contender to the outside world. Jet fans think that they can take on the world. That's something that I think is good from a vibe standpoint, but it's not realistic. And look, the team has won six games before their bye week. They met, they broke their projected win total with eight games to play, and they deserve all the credit in the world for that. But even with a 6-3 and three record going into this game against New England off a of bye, I said this. I will believe they beat the Patriots when I see it. That's not me sit, doubting this team. But when you lose 13 consecutive games, there is a certain amount of difficulty you have in fully investing. I expected them to lose this game, and I don't want to come across as a negative Nancy. But as I said, I'll believe it when I see it. And I said a couple weeks ago when there was the game New England-Buffalo by New England as the schedule, and the Jets were 5-2 and two going into that first New England game, I said, yeah, it's all well and good where we're at. I'm seeing vast improvement, but this will be the litmus test for whether or not this team is better than we think they are. Can they be taken seriously? And I think the Buffalo win in the manner that it happened with a defensive tour de force in the second half and the offense doing enough to get the win, I think that's a legitimate win. You cannot take that away. It happened. There was no shenanigans or real controversial calls that dis- or non-calls that decided the game. The Jets just beat the Bills. You can't mince words on that. You can't put a spin on it, at least in my opinion. So that showed that the Jets can hang with anybody. But from my purview, I said this, that I would believe the Jets when they finally get over that Patriot hump. And they still haven't done it because they lost on Sunday 10-3. to And there's a lot to talk about. So, big picture, before I break it down. I was visibly upset and not happy with the way that game ended. If you didn't watch, they kicked a punt, and the Patriots returned it for a touchdown to win the game 10-3. It's a terrible way to lose. I don't dispute that in any capacity. But from my purview as someone who watched the game in its entirety, this brilliant display of offensive football on both sides, to sit there for 59 minutes in game time, which equivalates to well over three hours between the broadcast and a delay before the game started due to technical errors, That kind of made it all the more disheartening to sit there, be in the game the entire time with no credibility on the offense. I credit entirely the defense and New England offensively not being great for that game being as close as it was and some missed special teams errors on the part of the Patriots. 
But to lose like that, it did feel like a proverbial kick in the nuts. And, and I was not happy. But my, my opinion is this. I've seen a lot of people, Jet fans and non-Jet fans, point out the, uh, the block-in-the-back play on that punt return that quote-unquote should have been a penalty. I guess by definition, I didn't see it really in real time. I only saw it on the replay and still images. Should it have been called? Sure. But here's my take. The game should never have come to that. Because let's say they throw the flag. New England gets the ball on the 25-ish yard line. Nick Folk lines up to kick a game-winning field goal and you lose 6-3. Who knows? Maybe you go to overtime because Nick Folk missed two kicks early in their game, as I mentioned with special teams blunders on the part of the Patriots. But the game should not have come down to a you know, special team stopping a punt. Was it bad coverage? Absolutely. Should that have happened? No, not, not at all. But the fact that the game came down to that, I think, speaks more about the failure on the Jets' offense than it does as an accreditation to the Jets' defense. So that's my take on the punt return. I wanted to start with that because that seems to be – it did decide the game. But in a way from me, it should not have come to that moment. So from there, I don't know where to start. Do I go to the defense or do I go to the offense? I guess I'll go to the defense first because the offense will lead into my comments about what's ahead. When you look at the Jets defensively, since week three, which is when to let you all jump in the wayback machine with me, there was a comment made in the post game by DJ Reed, who talked about we need to all get on the same page because the Jet defense was not what it was in the first three weeks versus what it has become now. It was not great. You know, they gave up over 24 points in the first three games. Now, great, they played really good teams Baltimore, Cincinnati, not necessarily Cleveland. It's a miracle they won that game. But they said, we all got to get on the same page. And since then, they have. Because the Jets' defense has been has been great. But you do have to look at who have you played. And as I've talked about, they've played a lot of backup quarterbacks or starters you would consider below average. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the, the quarterbacks they have played since the Jets have turned the proverbial corner on the, the season defensively. So they played week four. They played Kenny Pickett slash Mitch Trubisky. They both played. Trubisky got benched. Kenny Pickett came in. They won that game. They then beat Miami, who started Teddy Bridgewater, who was already the second string player. He gets knocked out in the first series. And they bring in Skylar Thompson. And that game was pretty close for a while. And then the Jets just grabbed onto it and didn't let go. Then they basically pummeled them. Do I put some stock into that win? I do because it's, it's a division win. Those have been hard to come by, being a fan of this team. And 40 points, hey, that's not something that happens all that often. Not just for the Jets, but for, for a lot of teams. So I, I do consider that a credible win. Because they did have to 
take the wheel and just keep driving. Like they never let up once they started putting up points. So good job on that. They pummeled Aaron Rodgers at Lambeau, which is no small feat. I, I, I understand the Packers are not what they used to be, but they went in there and just dominated that game defensively. They beat the Broncos, who were playing Brett Rippon. And even with Russell Wilson, their offense was a horror show. So good on them for winning on the road because it's it's Denver's not an easy place to play. They play Mac Jones at the Patriots. Defense does their job. Offense gives the game away. And then they look fantastic against the Bills. So they've shown that they've they can do great things. And on Sunday at Gillette Stadium, the Jet defense was the only reason they were in that game. I shouldn't say the only reason because the, the Patriots did miss two field goals. But still, they would have at worst been down 9-3 before that punt return. So when you look at Mac Jones's stat line, he completed about 85% of his throws for over 200 yards. By all accounts, he played, I guess, well. But the Jet defense, there were some broken tackles. There were some long conversions they allowed, but whenever it came down to crunch time where the Patriots got into the red zone, the Jets would either get a sack, knock them out of a reasonable fourth and short call, or they would have some big run stops. They would do their job. It was the the classic example of bend but don't break. And they did that throughout for, for the entire game. They never let up. And they held the Patriots to three points, possibly nine if Folk makes those field goals. But I always talk about how it seems like there's these wild statistics when it comes to the Jets. And it only seems to happen against the Patriots. So this one is both good and bad. In the two games they played against New England this year, they have sacked Mac Jones 12 times. Both games they sacked him six times. And they still lost. So to me, I don't blame the defense for losing either of these games, considering also in these two games, they've only given up one offensive touchdown to the Patriots. And look, the Patriots do not have a great offense. It's led by two stooges. I don't believe in Mac Jones. But they've hand- the Jets did their job defensively. They did what they were supposed to do. It's not like they gave up 30-something points and 400 yards passing. So good job, defense. I don't have much more to add. They they played well enough, hard enough, intellectually, didn't make any like dumb mistakes. There were no roughing the passer calls like there was that negated the pick six. There were none of those kind of shenanigans that cost them the game. So good job on you guys. And thankfully, nobody got hurt outside of the feeling of Jet fans who have not taken this loss well, and honestly, nor should they. But I guess that has to do with expectations and all that stuff. So kudos to the defense. Now let's get to the offense because this is the the big elephant in the room. As I mentioned, the final score was 10-3. So the Jets scored more points than they had yards in the second half. You heard me correctly. That was not a error on my part speaking. That was not a flub. 
They had two yards of offense in the second half. And that doesn't that that's not acceptable as being kind. And I don't really like to curse a lot on this show because I, I don't know who's listening and I don't want to offend anybody. So I could have much harsher words. In fact, I spoke most of them during the during the game because it's I lived through some pretty egregious and borderline unwatchable periods of Jets offensive football, whether that is the Adam Gase era or error, as I like to call it, because that was two years of just endless misery where the offense couldn't do anything. And that was for a variety of reasons. I'm going to touch on that a little bit later because it does play into my opinion that stands now. But two yards offense, I you can't make this shit up. And it's always against the Patriots where these kind of mind-boggling occurrences happen. Which I think is why I'm sort of in this mode of I'll believe it when I see it. Because every game, there's something ridiculous. The butt fumble was against New England. I'm seeing ghosts was against New England. Zach Wilson just throwing the ball right into people's hands during the last game. It just always seems to happen against this team. But regardless of who you're playing against, to have two yards of offense is just, it's a joke. There, there is no other way to phrase that. And I understand this. The Jets are playing with a certain handicap. This offensive line has gone through more configurations than I have pens sitting in my cup on my desk. And I have filled an entire coffee mug full of them. Brees Hall not being here is a tough loss to overcome. Corey Davis didn't play, who's been their most consistent wide receiver, but he's not Justin Jefferson. He's not Stephon Diggs. He's not Devontae Adams. So let's not act like him not being there is an excuse. Because those guys didn't play when they beat the Bills. This offensive line was the same configuration outside of Nate Herbig not playing in this game. But again, I don't want to make excuses. If you're telling me that Nate Herbig, who is a journeyman right guard, is the reason that this offensive line played like crap, then maybe this O-line should not be praised whatsoever if it takes that for the entire unit to fall apart. As I've talked about on the show, I think there's a difference between circumstances and excuses. Brees Hall not playing is a circumstance. It's not an excuse. Corey Davis not playing is a circumstance. It's not an excuse because they got some pretty damn good weapons outside of him. So there's that. No matter who is out there on the field, you've got to be able to move the ball. And I understand the Patriots' Belichick always is a great defensive mind. But this is not a game where I can blame the offensive coordinator, Mike LaFleur, for not getting it done. Because he had a good game plan. He tried to run the ball, but Belichick did what is going to cripple this team from here on out until things change. Stuff the box, stop the run, and say, hey, Zach. Beat us with your arm. 
And that's going to be the approach people take in the same way that I think the Jets have shown sort of a blueprint how to play the Bills, you know. Uh, put a safety on Diggs while he's already covered on a corner, take away the number two option completely, and rush four. And the Jets are capable of doing that because they have uh, one of the best D-lines in the NFL. But th that's going back to, you know, sort of what I talked about earlier in our previous shows. But it's not rocket science. Belichick didn't come up with these Rex Ryan-esque blitz packages or guys not being able to get open. The only criticism I guess I have of LaFleur is a lot of his runs were straight up the middle between the tackles. I would have liked to have seen some stretch runs, maybe some off-tackle runs, just to keep the defense honest. But it's tough to keep the defense honest when you can't pass the ball. And I say can't because Zach Wilson's stat line, 9 of 22 for 70-ish yards. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me because I watched this crap with my own eyes and I know what I saw. They lost this game because Zach Wilson was terrible in every facet. I cannot blame the offensive coordinator for calling bad plays. I cannot blame the receivers outside of one drop. And this brings me to the, the Zach Wilson conundrum, which is going to be the talk of Jets land for the rest of the season. Let's stick with on the field for now, because that'll be part of the discussion, not just the entirety of it. I think with the way the NFL is structured now, the days of you know sitting rookies behind veterans are effectively over, unless you have sort of Alex Smith, Patrick Mahomes, type of situation where you're you're making the playoffs with Alex Smith and you can afford to let Mahomes sit there. So kid rookies are also more ready when they enter the NFL than they've ever been because of a lot of spread offenses in college. You know, you're throwing the ball a lot more, seven on sevens. You know, by the time these kids go to the NFL, they know what they're doing. And Zach Wilson made 20 starts. So we have more than enough of a sample size. And the most alarming thing is that he's not improving. He's not regressing because he's he hasn't improved enough to regress. And there's multiple things that he is not doing well. This is not just a fix one thing, fix one nail in the board, and it'll straighten out and you can fit it. He's got multiple problems. And there's a lot of generalities that I think people have thrown out with quarterbacks. Happy feet, hero ball, doesn't stand up in the pocket. Those are all broad terms. And I think Zach is applicable to some of them. But it's sadly more elementary than that. And that's the, the scary thing. Too many times throughout his career, he misses the easy throws. He makes the simple screen passes and the dump-offs to running backs look unnecessarily difficult. And in this game, there were too many times where he was throwing the ball over people's heads. He was under-throwing them. His targeting has not improved. And when you cannot complete simple screen passes, it makes it impossible for you to keep the defense honest. Because they'll take away the run, and they'll take away those short passes because they know you can't do it. 
Mike LaFleur can scheme up great bubble screens and, you know, some misdirection. But when your quarterback can't get them the ball five yards away, that is a problem that no other person can solve but the quarterback. So that's problem number one. Problem number two is that he just does not see the open receivers downfield. I don't watch tape. I don't do the all 22. I don't scheme over these with a fine tooth comb because quite frankly, I don't have the time. But I watched a couple plays where it looked like there were opportunities. There was a play where he he had Denzel Mims down for at least a first down and considerably more if he saw him downfield. But instead, he cucked it and ran. I don't think he's trusting his instincts. And when you play skittish and you move around too much, you, you don't give your guys an opportunity because you're like, all right, my first read's not here. I'm just going to cut and run. And I speak this. I know it's armchair quarterback to say I've never played quarterback, nor do I have the ability to. I'm not six foot three and have a rocket for an arm. But when it's those basic things and they're still not fixed 20 games in, you have a problem. And it's your quarterback. So I put the the loss firmly on his shoulders. And I also say that because you could see the visible frustration on the receivers that were not just heat of the moment type of things. I can live with him throwing an interception on a 50-50 ball that a defender just makes a play on. I can live with something like getting hit from behind in a strip sack. As long as the, you know, it's a blindside hit and he's throwing a 50-50 ball that's actually a 50-50 ball and not something where the safety is lurking and can just come over and snatch it while the corner's on the receiver. Um, what I What I can't except is not doing the simple things properly and showing that you're not improving in that capability. And when you look at this season when he's played, they win games because they can run the ball and play great defense. Outside of the Pittsburgh game where he let a touchdown drive, you can't take that away to win the game. They're not winning because of his arm. He, he made just enough plays in the Bills game. He made just enough plays in the Denver game to squeak by. And when you win, it's the ultimate deodorant. It is the, it's the ultimate remedy for a headache where you, look, you overlook the problems because your team is winning. And when you're losing, they just get more and more heightened. Um, I think I've been fair in my assessment that you know the run game and the defense has been most of the accreditation for his this team being where they are. And I think it's a reality that this game has proven home. And I don't want to hear, speaking of excuses, the Bill Belichick does this to, to young quarterbacks. This is not the Patriot defense of old. Stefan Gilmore is not there. You know, your Teddy Bruschis, your, your Chase Winoviches, your, your guys like that. It's a good defense, and they have a great edge rusher in Matthew Judon, but I don't the, the level of ineptitude is not excused because you're playing the 85 Bears defense. And in this NFL, to have two yards in an era that is all about offense, like I said, is just, it's absurd. 
So there's the on-the-field stuff. You played like crap, and that's why they lost the game. I don't want to hear about injuries. I don't want to hear about the fake punt. I don't want to hear about missed penalties. It's on the quarterback. And this leads me to point number two, which is the post-game way he handled himself. And this touches on sort of a non-football perspective that I have. I have never played professional football, never played college football. I'm just a fan. I'm not an analyst. I don't do this on a daily basis. It's not my livelihood. I choose to watch because I support the team. And maybe that's a problem that I have internally that I need to see a psychiatrist to fix. But I do think I know a thing or two about leadership. You know, I teach it as part of my job. I, it's an in- integral part of my upbringing and my, I guess, backbone. And I understand that coming off a loss like that, you don't want to talk to the media. But it's part of the job especially in New York of all places where they, there is not an athlete that has defeated the New York media. They've just played the game really well. Derek Jeter always said the right things. Eli Manning always had this lackadaisical, aw shucks kind of mentality. But to say in a post game, and this is not me speaking hyperbole or trying to draw up a story of my own for him to sit there and say, he did not feel like he let his defense down, I think was very, very telling of who he is as a leader. And I'll retract this if he makes some kind of an apology to an extent. But the fact is you can't unspeak that because that is a message to your locker room. And that is not just something you are telling beat reporters. That is a message to your, your team. There's 53 guys in that locker room. And I guarantee you all the defenders heard that. And now we're at, an, we're at a real crossroads. This is the kind of loss and these are the kind of actions that can split a locker room. And while the Jets are sitting at 6-4 and four and are fourth in the division, which is, just goes to show how good this division actually is, that your worst team is two games above 500 and they're out of the playoffs. But there's a lot of season left to be played, seven games to go. And this begs the question of what do you do? Do you punt on the season that still has promise and ride with your quarterback because you drafted him number two overall? Or do you monitor the situation and say, we will play the quarterback who gives us the best chance to win? I don't know who that is. But I... Greatly appreciate that Robert Sala said that everything is on the table for the starter. I think he recognizes, and this is a conversation I do also want to have, that this team may not be a Super Bowl team. I don't think you can be with a quarterback this that is struggling this heavily. I do think they have a playoff caliber defense that can hang with anybody. They will keep you in every game. Until I see otherwise. If they get blown out, hey, maybe you get brought back down to earth. But from what I've seen, this defense is was last in the NFL in every category last year. And Salah has put his stamp on the team. So one thing you could say about him. He has, as a defensive coach, I always say when you inherit a team, you have to put your stamp on it and strengthen your side of the ball. He has done quite a remarkable reclamation project on this defense. And that's a combination of personnel, adding new players, uh, 
certain players taking a step up, like Quinn Williams. He has been unbelievable this season. You know, Sauce Gardner bringing in DJ Reed as a free agent. He's done a great job on rebuilding this defense virtually overnight. Fingers crossed they stay healthy. But looking at the team, I think he realizes that we are capable of still making a run, and we need to not put one player above the greater good, even if it's the quarterback, even if we took him number two overall. So I'm glad he didn't outright say we're going to bench Zach Wilson, but I think this was the wake-up call this kid needed to say this job, that you are not entitled to it. And it can be taken from you if you are not going to fulfill your end of the the bargain, so to speak. I think that's the right message because you need to send a message to your team that, hey, we're still in this. And I said to start the show, I don't think this was a playoff team at the onset of the season. And I still don't think they're capable of making a run because in the playoffs, you've got to score points. I trust the defense to do their job, but can I trust Zach Wilson to put up 20, 25 points in a game and win a game 24-20? I'm sure they could hold a team like the Bills again to 20 points, but I don't think the Jets offense is capable of doing that, at least throwing the ball. they got to get back to running the football better. But at the end of the day, you got to throw the ball. So it's a long-winded way of saying that I think Salah has – he, he has done a good job of, of stepping up as a leader and saying, we're not in a position to punt the season. If they were 2-7 two and, two and seven or whatever the equivalent would be at this time, then you just ride out with Zach Wilson and pray you have the right guy. But this is a team that's built to win now on one side of the ball. They got good, really good running backs, really good receivers. Corey Davis will be coming back. You, you got to make every attempt to end this 12-year, 11-year playoff drought. And you got seven games to do it. It's not easy. But can you win three or four of the next seven? Because if you win three, you finish with a winning record, which we have not had in a very long time, and you would exceed my win total of eight because they're at six and four with seven to go. But I, I think what I would do is Zach Wilson starts against Chicago next week. And if he struggles, you got to make a change. And I'm not talking, you know, throw one interception and yank him. But if plays a half like he played against New England, where just nothing is going right, he's missing open guys. They're not moving the ball. You got to make a switch and try to spark your offense. And there's a not a lack of precedent for doing this. I don't like to compare quarterbacks, but. Tua was benched multiple times in favor of Fitzpatrick. Matt Jones was benched this season for poor play. And those guys have come back. They're Wilson's age, roughly, and experience. If Zach Wilson's mentally not tough enough to withstand being benched with opportunity to come back, then he doesn't have the mental capacity to play quarterback at this level. That's my opinion, and I'm sticking to it. Not a permanent benching, but if you're not tough enough to come back from that, then you shouldn't be a starting quarterback. And the third thing that's not playing in his favor, outside of his his questionable calls, his on-field play, is his durability. He's missed multiple stretches in his first two years with injuries. At the end of the day, the best availability is dependability. And when you 
leave a lot to be desired as a quarterback and you're hurt, how much of those guys really going to have your back? And can you, if you're Joe Douglas, the GM, can you keep riding with him with a defense this good and this young? You have a, you have built a window to be a contender for years to come. I didn't think it was going to be this year, but the defense has grown at a rate that the quarterback has been unable to match. And that is a huge problem. If the defense was still iffy and Zach Wilson was playing like crap, then you would have more justification to ride it out. But they've, as I've said, have vastly improved and Zach Wilson has not been able to do so. So you've got to do what's best for your team and get the quarterback that can put you in the best situation to win. Whether that's Joe Flacco, Mike White, who knows. But if you put a gun to my head, which I don't ask that you do, please don't. Take this as a call to action. And you said, is Zach Wilson going to be the starter quarterback next year? In my heart of hearts, I would say no. I am officially out on Zach Wilson. Until proven otherwise. I don't think I will be. Because he's played 20 games and I have not seen enough to buy that he will have this huge leap. And find me the quarterback in history that has played this many games and all of a sudden, you know, become a superstar. Maybe Vinny Testaverde, but that was years beyond year two with the Jets. And don't give me Josh Allen. He's a one in a million outlier. And by this point in Josh Allen's second year, you saw something that you could mold that they fine-tuned. He didn't become as reckless. He fixed the interceptions. He took care of the ball better. His passing accuracy improved in year two. Zach Wilson hasn't done that. So why should I believe that he will? He he can and he will. And like I said, the intangible of leadership, that means a lot to me. Uh, and New York especially. you got to have thick skin to deal with the New York media. And if you get that perturbed at a softball question, like do you feel like you let your defense down and you say no, then I don't, I don't know what to say to you. I question your moral compass. So when I look at next year, is Jimmy Garoppolo an option? Absolutely, if the Niners let him go. Would I want Jimmy G? Much like Zach Wilson, he's got durability issues, but he runs that Niner offense, which the Jets, they run a similar thing. Now, they don't have Debo Samuel or Christian McCaffrey or George Kittle, but I think Garoppolo, if he was on this team, they probably would have won that game against New England. Hell, they probably could have won both games against New England. So while I don't want to get too far ahead, I think the conversation needs to be had of if Zach's not the guy, what do we do? Because this defense has exceeded our expectations. Our offensive skill players are only going to get better. Can we justify keeping this kid if he is holding us back? And I think Joe Douglas, if he says, yeah, we whiffed on the quarterback and recognizes it, I'm more than willing to give him another shot at it because outside of that, he is done a phenomenal job of rebuilding this team, acquiring draft picks, trading away assets, drafting correctly outside of the quarterback, which is still, I'm like the leaning tower of Pisa saying no. And people miss on quarterbacks all the time. It's the hardest position to land. So I would be more than willing to say, hey, Joe, if we move off Zach or keep him as a backup and bring someone in 
Jimmy Garoppolo, Derek Carr. I don't think those guys are world beaters, but I think if they were under center, this offense would be pretty damn functional and very complimentary to this to this defense. So it's a crossroads. This game is a legitimate crossroads for the Jets, not just this year, but possibly in the next year. If he turns it around, then by the grace of God, maybe it's it's good to go. But I think there are serious questions, and I'm glad that Robert Sala had the wherewithal to say everything's on the table because we still have a shot. Right now, they're sitting outside the playoff window. They're the number eight spot, and they're seven. You have to be at least seven to make the playoffs. So I appreciate that he's not throwing away the season because he owes it to the defenders in that locker room and the guys that are playing well. And you got games against Chicago, Detroit, Jacksonville. Not locks by any stretch, but they're winnable games. And the fact is, if the Jets can beat the Bills, then any given Sunday you can beat anybody. But to not beat New England when you have the opportunity to do so, that shows me that this team is not mentally ready in some way to deserve to be treated as a viable playoff contender. If they sneak in, good, you end the playoff drought, but are people really going to take you seriously? Not unless you beat somebody. So that's where I'm at. I, I'm I'm justifiably disappointed that they let these opportunities in a game where if you won, you would have been in first place in the division because we had the tiebreaker over Miami against a team that you theoretically on paper are better than and lost because your quarterback played like garbage and gave up a punt return for a touchdown in the closing seconds. And in the game before, your quarterback cost you the game. So it's the reality the Jets have to face. They're now in the basement of the AFC East at 6-4, and four, and they got to find a way to dig themselves out of the hole. And again, they have a pathway to do it. But it's going to depend on what do you do at quarterback and can the defense keep up this pace. So we're going to find out a lot about Robert Sala as a leader, if this locker room is going to stay together, if Zach Wilson can come back from this. There's a lot of juicy narratives. So am I upset? Yeah, because I think these games, they let them slip through. And I'm tired of losing to New England. I'm just, I'm, I'm done. But you got you got seven games to take care of business. I think Zach Wilson's been humbled. We'll find out a lot about him based on how he comes back from this. But it, it's not rock bottom. And I, I don't think this is the end of the season by any means. And like I said, the team has exceeded my expectations, which is great. But I don't, I don't think they're there yet to make a deep run. My expectation was for them to win eight games, like I said, and I think they'll finish nine and eight. They'll finish one better. So it'll it, it's a it's it's a good step to take because they're still in a rebuild. Outside of quarterback, they're that's the only piece I feel that's missing. And I said that they're going into the season, they're they're still a year away from being serious. You know, year three of a coach is when you make that next step. Unless you have a rock star quarterback that can 
carry the load, which the Jets clearly do not have. So they're ahead of schedule, so to speak, at least on paper. But I still think there's a mental barrier until they beat New England or if they beat Buffalo again. It's going to take something like that for me to think, okay, this team can do something. But outside of that, I'm waiting till next year to say and assess, are they capable of making a run at the division or even further? So there's still some unknowns. There's still some questions to be answered, and we'll find out a lot. And I'm not taking beating the Bears, and I'm not going to puff out my chest if they do so, because the Bears are a team that you should beat, especially if Justin Fields doesn't play. But I said they should have beaten the Patriots and didn't do it. So if they win that game, great. Go win a few more. So I think Jet fans, this calm your Jets, no pun intended. Accept humility. Accept where the team is at, that the quarterback is not mentally there for this team to be viable as a contender. I said going into the season they weren't, and he had to prove it, and he has not. This was the reason I was trepidatious about the playoffs. Is there a path? Absolutely. But they gotta they gotta commit to it. So I think that's gonna be how I close out. It's a wait and see at this point. And we'll find out a lot this upcoming Sunday. At least as far as the, the, the team's moral fiber and confidence. But ask me when they play Minnesota and Buffalo. When they play those games, that'll be a real chance to see, okay, what do we have? And what's what's our pathway this year? If they lose both those games, then, you know, no skin off my teeth because I think both those teams are better. But we'll see. Anything can happen. So I wish you all a very happy Thanksgiving, and thank you very much for listening. Take care.